1: you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner.
2: We've got Mackie and Judd on right now. Actually, it's it's Judd and Caller. How are
1: you guys doing this morning? We are doing fantastic, sir. And we are here for the next two and one half hours because the Vikings are coming off a 13-win season and there's going to be no best of when you win 13 games. We're live. We're going to give it our all. Coming up. Right now, two and a half hours of Vikings talk with Zolgad and Matthew Holler. We will start with this. Now launching.
3: Sequence start. Mackie and Joe. We'll we get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell?
1: All righty. Second and nine.
2: Keenum fires and. Says. It's the, the last five years
0: in the NFC, one of the two teams that had to buy represented uh, the NFC in the Super Bowl, so it's
1: big. All right, so the, the Vikings uh, finish out collar with three games, of, of which I think were basically exhibition-style games, right? You had the Bengals, who didn't give a damn. You had the Packers. I think the Packers cared. They're just awful. Uh-huh. And then Chicago, which uh, came in yesterday, and I think they didn't give a damn to start with. Their coach got fired today. I think they might have cared a little bit more as the game progressed. But my question for you is this, sir. We now know that the uh, that the Vikings are going to play host to a divisional round NFC playoff game at 340 on January the 14th. Who do you want? Do you want you – got three options here. The Rams are going to play the Falcons. If the Rams win and they are the three seed, they come here. If the Falcons upset the Rams, your choices are going to be the uh, Carolina Saints winner. And that game is uh, next Sunday in the wild card round. Do you want the Saints? Do you want the Panthers? Or do you want the Rams?
2: I, I think my ranking here, one, two, three, uh, is very easy for me. Panthers, number one. That team is filled with holes, and by all statistical measures, should not be a playoff team. Cam Newton has won them some games. Maybe they've had some luck. The first time that they beat the Atlanta Falcons, Julio Jones dropped a touchdown pass, Mm -hmm. which usually doesn't happen. Otherwise, they lose that game. Uh, And, and, uh, I mean, really, the Vikings game is a lot of luck for the Carolina Panthers, too. Adam Thielen's touchdown is not a catch. And there's dropped passes that usually never happened from Phelan and Kyle Rudolph. There were penalties in that game. Uh, the interception bounces off, digs hands, all those things that went Carolina's way when, I mean, Anderson Dejo picks off a pass and doesn't run into the end zone. He cuts back for some unexplainable reason. I mean, everything had to go their way for Carolina to win that game by seven points. My guess would be when you play a playoff game again and you do it at U.S. Bank Stadium, the Minnesota Vikings would not make anywhere near the number of mistakes that caused them to lose that game. And then number two for who you want to play is the Rams because I think it's uh, still a younger coach. Mike Zimmer took Sean McVay to school the first time. It's a younger quarterback. The less experienced quarterback you are, the better the Vikings defense will do against you. And the team I would not want to face is the New Orleans Saints <laughs> because of Drew Brees at the very top of that list. Yep, Drew Brees doesn't have as many touchdowns or yards this year, but he's got 104 quarterback ratings still. He is averaging over eight yards attempts still. They've got him weapons. They've got him a running game. They've got him a defense.
1: And game one is a long time ago because people will point to, well, the Saints came here and you beat them opening night. Guess what? I don't care.
2: Yeah, it's, opening de- night
1: means nothing right now.
2: Their defense was so discombobulated in that first game, but they finished with one of the best quarterback rating against numbers in the league. Their passing defense has been very good, and at the top of the reasons why, their rookie, Marshawn Lattimore, has emerged as a star in his first year as a corner, which usually doesn't happen. Yep. Usually it takes, as we've seen from someone like Xavier Rhodes, a few years. So they've got this superstar shutdown corner uh, they can rush the passer a bit. I mean, they, they've got a very good defense now. I would not want to go up against a team that Drew Brees runs that has a very good defense. And and that's the, the other two teams, I think, are beatable. Yep. Carolina, I would almost say, yeah, all right, you're just going to steamroll them. And the Rams would be a great matchup because I respect what Sean McVay can do. But with the Saints, that would make me very nervous.
1: Yeah, I would go the, the same exact thing. Carolina, Cam Newton could give you some problems, but I think Cam Newton, in your stadium with your fans, and it's going to get really loud, and your defense uh, profits from that, I think he struggles. So if I get the Panthers, I'm not concerned. If I get the Rams, I'm mildly concerned. Uh, The thing with, with the Rams is... Sean McVay strikes me as a very bright guy. Mm-hmm. And I think Sean McVay is a guy that would uh, that would pull out the film from the uh, the game that they played a couple months ago, look at that film and say, we're not going to do the same thing. And Zim gave him lots of problems, and I think McVay w- would adjust. Nonetheless, the Rams are young. It's a young quarterback, and once again, a noisy environment's going to cause some problems for them. The Saints is the one where I'm not sure of. The Saints, I think if I was to pick a team... In this playoff, in the in the NFC playoff picture, uh, besides the Vikings, that would scare me, it's the Saints. When you look at Drew Brees, when you look at that defense, and here's the other factor too, with, with them that would frighten me a bit, Sean Payton. Now I think he's a lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's a I think he's yeah. a completely bizarre guy. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that when he has the the right people offensively, he is a brilliant play caller. And and I actually think the the uh, Peyton Zim battle would, would be very interesting. Zimmer's really really good, but Peyton would be very very tough. And when Peyton's got Breeze, that makes it tougher. And now there's no concern about Peterson, right? Week one it, it was the hey, are we going to yeah. play Peterson? Are we going to play Kamara? There. Are we going to how are we going to do this? Well, he's gone now, and so Peyton coming in here against Zim's defense and with Breeze. And if there's one one QB in this entire equation who might not get flustered by sound, it's Breeze, mm-hmm. that's yep. that's
2: the one where I would actually, if I'm the Vikings, be very concerned. And nobody has been able to run the ball against the Vikings all year. And we saw that yesterday. Jordan Howard had had good games in the past against the Vikings, and as soon as they handed off to him, he was just tackled. Uh, but the Saints have the best running game in the league, and they have two of the best running backs in the entire NFL, in Mark Ingram and Elvin Kamara. And it, Looks even more ridiculous that they signed Adrian Peterson with those two. I have no, and I, and now I have no idea, like,
1: because it's not like Peterson's still near the top of his game. I now have no clue exactly
2: what they were thinking in taking that flyer on, on a guy who can't catch passes. They wouldn't have known that Kamara was this good, although. When he was drafted, it was surprising to me that he dropped as far as he did because he is a really exciting player at at Tennessee. That was one of the guys that I had pegged for the Vikings. They end up going with Delvin Cook, but I I thought this guy is a real possibility. And this was talked about as a historic running back draft, and it has totally turned out to be that way. Fournette's great. McCaffrey's great. Cook is great. And so is uh, Kamara. And He's got 81 catches this year and averages 6.1 yards per carry when they hand him the ball. Yes, He's one of the most exciting players in the NFL. He reminds me a lot of LaShawn McCoy when he was young. Just a guy that's super hard to tackle. And the the Vikings have done a great job at shutting down opposing teams' running backs when they try to use them in the passing game. I looked at this. I mean, they shut down McCaffrey. They love to throw him the ball when they played the Browns. They throw Duke Johnson the ball all the time. It seemed week after week you'd have a guy, Tariq uh, Cohen, uh, he was a guy that caught the ball in the backfield all the time. Mm-hmm. Tariq, it might be Tariq, it might I think. Be Tariq. Yeah. yeah. Either way, it didn't, have any, didn't have anything yesterday. They tried to throw in the ball, he got a couple well, yards. these guys are fantastic, yes. Yeah, I mean, so that's one of the things they do best, but you're also talking about a team that has two guys that are on, on the next level from that, and a good offensive line with the Saints. They are the most complete team To me, though, with the Rams, the one thing you could, if you wanted to look back at that game, I did think that Zimmer took Sean McVay to school in that game, Mm -hmm. and especially with Jared Goff, that he could not handle where Harrison Smith was going to be. They still fumbled at the one-yard line, and you wonder how different that game might have been if Cooper Cup doesn't fumble at the one, and then they got two cornerbacks hurt, and Adam Thielen you know, caught that pass and, and went to the house against some backup guy. If they're healthy and they don't make a mistake like that, fumbling at the one, maybe that's a, a pretty different game.
1: And if you recall, uh, the Rams' scripted plays went d- down the field and scored quickly. And and the one thing where I thought Zimmer took McVay to school in a big way was, I think it was subsequent to that game. I think it was in the weeks after that game, it came out that basically McVay would, would run the play clock down until the last second look at the defense yep and, and the quarterback's headset shuts off when 10 seconds left yeah I think 15 so. seconds left and that McVeigh would push that as far as he could and yep. then, and then he would basically tell Goff here's what they're doing do this yep where Zimmer completely took McVeigh to school was was as you just said with the use of Smith because yep. Smith would make adjustments way late right and so Goff was lost so, so I would be very curious to see the counter to that now because clearly Mitt McVay would change that because his problem was he would try and tell Goff, here's what I'm seeing, and then once the headset in his helmet would shut off, Smith would change that playoff defensively.
2: I, I saw Harrison Smith go over to Mackenzie Alexander and call a blitz. Yeah. He literally walked over to Mackenzie Alexander as all this was going on with Jared Goff getting the call in at the line of scrimmage and he called a blitz, and then Alexander got a pressure and forced uh, Goff to throw the ball away. There was another play where Terrence Newman seemed to call his own blitz, where he was uh, following a guy. It looked like he was showing Goff that he was going to be in zone coverage because when they send a guy in motion, if you follow him, the quarterback reads man, but if you don't follow him, then it's zone. Mm -hmm. And it looked like Newman was trying to show him, oh, we're in zone, but they were actually in man, and Newman just blitzed. And Goff was like, what is going on here? And I think he either got sacked or had to throw the ball away. And this, this is the type of three-dimensional chess that the Vikings defense plays with you. Absolutely. Because a lot of teams are, call comes in from the defensive coordinator or the head coach, you run the defensive call, and it's either win or lose. But in this case, the call goes in from Zimmer, but these guys can change it. And they could change things that they do on the fly.
1: Because that, that flexibility is built in by these guys.
2: And because they know how to communicate question, with yes. each other. If they see something But what would McVeigh do now? See that that's my question.
1: McVeigh McVeigh's a smart dude. He's gonna change yeah. that. Oh yes. So he's yes. not he's not going to, to let uh Goff get hung out to dry again. He would alter something there.
2: I wanna see that. I mean That's that, the question. That is gonna be But Peyton Zim would be really good too. It would, but McVay is exciting to me because he beat Zimmer when he was the offensive coordinator in Washington the year before, 2016, and they did a great job. You remember that crazy play that they had where Vernon Davis ended up with like a 30-yard touchdown pass where Davis came all the way across the field and discombobulated the Vikings defense and it, and it was a play that you just never see run with a tight end to go all the way across the field like that. Mm-hmm. And they ended up with a touchdown pass. He really made Kirk Cousins what he was over the last couple of years with, with his offense. And he's probably done that to golf again, too. So you have kind of this, this genius offensive mind who's risen to the top of the coaching ranks It'd at be 31 fun to watch. years old. And then on the defensive side, they've got Wade Phillips and they've got a ton of talent. So that's not an easy matchup at all. It's the playoffs. You're not going to have one. Mm-hmm. Um, But I I think I'd be more confident in that than the Hall of Fame quarterback. All right. We got a
1: ton to get to before this show is done. We got Super Bowl odds. We got five coaches out so far. And also, because this show believes in telling the truth, we're all thinking today 13 wins is fantastic and 13 wins is great. And we will get to that. But is there cause for concern with the Vikings? There is absolutely one area that is cause for concern as the playoffs approach. You won't hear this anywhere else. I guarantee you on the dial today, but we will broach it next. Zolgad and Collar. The show today, Zolgad and Collar. Jonathan is uh, producing New Year's Day. Oh,
2: Jonathan's cousin had a great game yesterday for the Patriots. Dang right he did. Yeah? James Harrison. Oh, oh is that your cousin? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, same initials and everything. Yeah, man, he did play well. <laughs> he did play well. They yeah. probably should have just played him. Like in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh yes, yeah, they, they probably thought, screwed that I think, up. I think what probably. he showed him yesterday is when a guy can actually take a, a helicopter and lift it over his head and throw it. <laughs> yep. Then that guy should be on the football field.
1: All right. Speaking of <laughs> uh, speaking of things that are transpired around the league since you brought that up, let me play this real quick. Dalton catches the football. He's back to throw. Inches up in the pocket. Throws. Yeah. Caught by Boyd to the fifteen. Get in. The ten. Yeah. The five. Touchdown. Tyler Boyd on fourth and. 12, Man. it's a 49-yard touchdown, Ooh, and the Bengals lead with 44 seconds to go. Silence in Baltimore, Panamanium in Buffalo. Now, okay, so uh, if Panamanium? You, pandemonium, Panamanium. He got very excited, okay? Yeah. He got very excited. So if you didn't see it, uh, Baltimore, <laughs> Baltimore somehow loses that game to the Bengals, so— Collar for the first time since 1999, I believe the longest, what? The longest stretch of not being in a postseason in North America sports comes to an end with
2: yep. your old team. The Buffalo Bills are finally in. Uh the I mean, to do it with that level of madness was really something. That was Viking. That was I mean, that
1: was Vikings getting eliminated by Arizona, so Green Bay gets it in 2003, like is what that was. It was
2: fourth and twelve on that play. Yes. Fourth and twelve. And Watching Andy Dalton in the second half of that game, because we got finished up at the stadium and made it, I made it home for maybe the last quarter of that game. Dalton was horrendous. And and I've talked about before how he's one of the last quarterbacks that I would want because he basically had one decent year and the rest of the time he just ruined a really, really great team over and over again in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And he never comes up with big throws. I mean, In that game, he tried to throw an interception on one of the plays, and they got lucky with a holding call. He did. Well, actually, he did throw an interception, and they got lucky on a holding call. He threw another pass that should have been picked that A.J. Green had to play defense on. I saw that play. That was a great play. And then, for whatever reason... A.J. Green made a great play on that one. What really confuses me is the defense that the Ravens called. They've got a great pass defense. They have great personnel, and... They played this just super deep zone and the guy just was right. He was just over the linebacker, right in front of the safety, the safety turned the wrong way. And that was it. It was like, why wouldn't you play man with these guys? I mean, you have a really good defense and why wouldn't you just lock onto the receivers? Instead, you leave all this room and, Wow! What an incredible stroke of luck for a for the Bills, a franchise that has had the worst luck in the history of pro sports.
1: A team that, what a month and a half ago or so, started a guy named Nathan Peterman, a quarterback, is going to the playoffs. And it was
2: justified at the time because their quarterback was playing so poorly. Not according to ESPN's big story about oh, your yeah. guy Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, you know what? Tyrod Taylor finished with 13 touchdowns and 6.6 yards per attempt. And there are people out there today going, "See, this shows how good he is. <laughs> like, he's not a good quarterback." It's not a good team. The Bills tried everything possible to not make the playoffs. No, I know they did. That's what I'm saying. They traded Marcel Darius. They traded Sam Watkins. The bottom of that conference is no good. Oh, the AFC is a disaster. I mean,
1: The Bills are a great story. It's a nice story. But the AFC, the bottom of the conference is terrible.
2: Outside of two teams, that entire conference is a mess. And that's what we were talking about earlier with the Vikings is, you know, if you're a Vikings fan, you look at these other teams and you're like, okay, well... You know, three eleven and five teams are the ones that you could face here. You've got Sean McVay who might win Coach of the Year, Drew Brees who is going to waltz into the Hall of Fame, and, and like these are the guy and, and 2015 MVP and Cam Newton. These are the guys that we have to face. Somebody gets to face that Bills team.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so so fired so far uh, since last night. We've had Jack Del Rio of the uh, six and ten Raiders fired. And the story there continues to be that John Gruden's going to get that job, and I think he's going to get a stake in the team as well. Uh, Fired this morning, John Fox of the Bears. No surprise there. Uh, Jim Caldwell of the Lions has finally been fired, despite the fact he got a contract extension before the season started. Chuck Pagano of the Colts fired yesterday as well. All right, so the concern on the Vikings, and, and you're the guy who watches film. So tell me this. Sure do. What is your what is your working theory presently, so not a month ago but right now, about an offense that for the last two games for sure, and I think you could argue into a third game, but the last two games for sure seems to have underwhelmed me. But you've been playing teams where, where it doesn't matter because you're going to probably— win those games regardless and you're certainly going to win them with a defense that's as good as the Vikings
2: yeah so you're talking about the Vikings offense the Vikings offense might be wrong with them yeah what what is your concern as as
1: they go into a a bye week where they can start to probably correct things
2: uh the concern that I would have is Pat Elfline's shoulder and Nick Easton not playing and we said it over and over this year and the film really shows it clearly that it wasn't just this offensive line having better players. It was having players of a certain type and losing Nick Easton at left guard. It really hurts the screen game. And what we didn't see a whole lot of these last two weeks is catches and runs for big yards. And when it comes to case Keenum, he's benefited from yards after catch as much as any quarterback in the NFL. He's at the very top of that list for how much his receivers and running backs run after the catch to create the yards that he has. And that's a lot of times why you see games where he goes 20 for 23 or something like that, because he's very rarely forced to push the ball down the field. There was this idea early in the season that he was gunslinging and whipping it down the field. This is classic West Coast Pat Shermer genius is what this offense has been. But a lot of it revolves on your offensive line being able to move and being able to get out there to the second level and make blocks. And if you can't do that, I mean, look at Jarek McKinnon's last two games. He has been non-existent in the screen game. That should really concern you. Mm -hmm. Because that's the thing that they do really, really well. If you ask Case Keenum to make big-time throws, that's not going to happen. There have not been big-time throws this year. There There have been nice throws. There have been NFL throws. But if you're talking about forcing the ball 20 yards down the field into tight windows in the zone coverages or something, that's just not what Case Keenum is going to succeed at. It's often making the right read at the line of scrimmage, which I think he is fantastic at, and then finding someone underneath or executing a screen pass and then gaining big yards after. We've seen them succeed with that many, many times this year, including the Rams game. Where you know Adam Thielen puts the nail in the coffin on basically a screen pass mm-hmm. uh, or a little five yard hitch. Those are the types of things that they have to do, and they have not had a whole lot of success with those things the last two weeks. And that's where your only worry would be is I don't know how they're going to reshuffle the offensive line, but you better have Pat Elfline back at center. What would you do? I think if, we'll,
1: if Elfline's back because the Easton Easton's done. And the Easton loss, given how they want to play, is significant. So if it's you and you've now got a week to
2: to prepare a strategy, what does your offensive line look like in that divisional game? I think that they'll probably just plug in Jeremiah Searles, but there might be a better option than that. The better option might be to move Joe Berger to left guard, have Mike Remmers play right guard, and Rashad Hill start at right tackle. Hill has proved that he can play right tackle at a, at an average level, which is really good considering he's a backup. Remmers, I think projects pretty well as a guard and I'd have to, I can't tell you till I see the tape, how he played yesterday at guard. Uh, but I mean, he's so strong and he's such a great run blocker in the middle and you saw them yesterday just dominate early in the game, especially five runs for 26 yards on the first drive for Latavius Murray, just plowing over the bears defense. I mean, if they can run the ball, they can beat any team in the NFL You look at the last time they played the Rams, Murray ran 15 times for 95 yards, and they just kept pushing the Rams back, pushing the Rams back, and Case Keenum only completed four passes of more than 10 yards in that game out of 27. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was never asked to throw it down the field. They just controlled possession and they ran the ball all the time. And then you give the other team's offense only a handful of possessions to beat the Vikings defense. And then apparently you have this magician as a punter too, who's going to pin the other team. Right quickly, ten. He had a great season. No touchbacks, He's right? Part of the defense. No touchbacks, yeah. right? Yeah. No touchbacks the yes. whole season. NFL Which record. Which is fantastic.
1: Um, what intrigues me about what you just said is this, the at, the potential athleticism or more so than plugging Searles in. If you just plug Searles in, he's a guy. Uh-huh. And I also think he's a guy from what the Vikings attempted to do and failed in 2016, which was big offensive linemen, big offensive linemen block, and they don't really pull that much correct, and they don't have to be that athletic. What intrigues me about your second option is Rashad Hill has turned into a nice tackle. I'm not saying he's he's oh, he's great, but he is very he is he has turned into a very nice player who is has certainly been a valuable guy uh to plug in at the tackle spots, especially on the right side. Remmers can play guard. Berger, Berger's at the point in his life and career, I think, where he can play right, left, or center. Mm-hmm. It intrigues me that you're going down a path which, which while I think some fans might say, whoa, 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 that seems like a lot, especially if you're going to move a guy that you paid a lot to play right tackle to right guard, that you keep more of a semblance of probably what you want to do if Hill plays right tackle, as opposed, to, as opposed to taking Searles and plugging him in. And yeah, it could work, but he's far from an ideal fit for
2: systematically what you would desire. I think... Hill is better at right tackle than Searles is at left guard. That's the point. Yes, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. And, and for sense, their system, yeah. and for their system, I think it's definitely more of a fit. And they have a week to prepare. If you were just doing this on a short week, I might say, okay, just plug in Searles and you'll be fine. But you've got a, a whole week to work on this extra. You might as well. And Joe Berger, he could play anywhere. He I mean, he could play tight end. He's not going to be a disaster. That's safe to say. And what you might see in the playoffs is more of what we saw yesterday with them bringing on Aviante Collins, who's just a guy they picked up before training camp, undrafted.
1: More than 20 snaps, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, What they did was they loaded up every big man they could find, and the only two receivers on the field were Diggs and Thielen. The heavy package, we call it. It was the heavy package. The heavy package. And you know what? That's actually something that the Oakland Raiders, when their offense was not run by someone who was – running them into the ground. Uh let's not rip on Eden Prairie Kids. 2016. Hey, let's got, not, you yeah, know, you, Todd you, Todd Downing's a very nice guy. Okay? Truth. Truth is truth, man. That that offense went into the tank this year from where it was last <laughs> and year.
1: Unfortunately so did the quarterback right with
2: it. And one of the things that they did that was really interesting mm-hmm. is they'd be at like the 30 yard line, their own 30 yard line, where you're thinking, okay, you know, standard stuff here. You're not really, you know, you just you're playing three wide receivers or something. And the Raiders would put in three tight ends and one wide receiver and they would just plow over the other team or they would put in an extra offensive lineman just in the middle of the field on a regular down, they'd throw in six offensive linemen and they would just plow the other team. It makes sense. I think that's a great strategy for the Vikings because even though it sounds so cliche to establish the run, this team can't win unless they're running the ball. I don't think. And, if you're doing what they did yesterday to well, the Bears, who have a pretty good defense, I think you can beat any. Here's your most important thing, and, and this is absolutely crucial
1: that you do this in games against good teams, especially. You got to eat clock. Yep. The one thing, the one thing you cannot do to this defense is you can't get to the playoffs and you're playing good teams at that point and say, we really can't score today, so win for us. Yeah. This defense can do that except for one thing, right? You can't leave them out on the field forever. Right. So to your point, I'm not even saying you got to score a ton of points. 14, 21, whatever you can score, you need to do it while eating as much clock as possible because the one thing where you will absolutely screw this Vikings defense is if you say win the game for us and oh by the way, stay out on the field for extended periods of time.
2: If you want to know how they Because we've seen that happen. If you want to know how they can win, You look at the Atlanta game because Atlanta has kind of almost had this narrative this year that they're not very good, but they're not amazing like they were last year, but their offensive statistics are basically as good as the Rams in a lot of categories. And their, their passing offense, their rushing offense isn't bad either. That's in the top 10. And the Vikings really just sucked the air out of the ball in that game. They controlled the clock entirely. Case Keenum threw all the underneath passes in the second half. He went 25 for 30 for only 227 yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just dumping off, dumping off, dumping off, underneath, underneath. And, and then Latavius Murray had the one drive where he ran the whole time, all the way down the field. And they combined for 100 yards on 24 carries with uh, – Murray and, and Jarek McKinnon. That was like a playoff that, game. You're right. That, that was very much the way to do it. And uh they only gave up 173 yards passing to Matt Ryan in part because he didn't have the ball very often. Mm-hmm. And then they relied on Dan Quinn making one of the most bizarre and <laughs> foolish decisions coaching. In, in all seriousness, the fourth down. I think one thing that we don't talk about a whole lot yep. is that Zimmer has gotten better at these things. I think. I think Zimmer Zimmer. has gotten better at game management. He hasn't botched as many challenges. He has not botched the punt situations. He's not botched the clock. And we see other teams do this against the Vikings. And I think that's one advantage that you have in a playoff game is if you play, well, you're not going to play the Falcons, um, at least in this next round. You can't. But if, you know, Sean Payton will do this. Mm -hmm. These other coaches, a lot of times, will give you extra opportunities and if you do it against the, the most talented team in the league, you're going to lose.
1: 651 646 8255 if you'd like to join the conversation. When we come back, actually, let's talk about that. The growth of Zim as a coach, because I, I think it's been uh, substantial. We'll talk about that next. Mackie and Judd, collar in for Phil today. I don't
4: know. I don't,
2: I don't think there's any curse. I've got a, I've got a um, crystal ball, and I've got a, what is that? a wood spirit hanging
1: in my office. So there's no damn curse. Rochelle Olsen Star Tribune congratulations question of the day to Zim in the post game press conference what do you think of the playoff curse because he said who said that and she said I did what do you think of the fact that you guys have been a little bit snake bit through the years in the playoffs it was a very fair question and it got uh, it got once again this quote which i thought was the zim quote of the day because we rarely get this from zim i think i don't
0: know i don't i don't think there's any curse i've got a, i've got a uh, crystal
2: ball and I've got a what is that? A wood spirit hanging in my office. So yeah, there's really? no damn curse. He really does have a crystal ball because and he's probably got a wood spirit too, because he he ultimately, I'm sure, being a coach, believes in the curse. Well, the crystal ball funny story is funny. When he was getting really agitated with the media asking about Sam Bradford's knee, this mm-hmm. is this is back when we were young, Judd. He said, uh, it's not like I have a crystal ball that's gonna tell me when he's gonna come back. Yep. And, yeah, you know, that was a funny sort of quote. But then a local psychic sent him an actual crystal ball. Oh, really? So he has a real crystal ball <laughs> in his office. So he knows everything that's going to happen. And judging by his confidence, uh, yeah, well... Maybe, maybe it's good things.
1: Uh, 651-646-8255 <laughs> if you want to uh, join the conversation. We are on till 1130, at which time we will have the uh, Citrus Bowl LSU-Notre Dame pregame show. I think that game kicks at noon, and Collar's going to race home in
2: these, uh, in, in these conditions to oh, watch gotta, all the bowl I got to go to Winter Park, unfortunately. hope they got the bowl games on out there.
1: All right. Uh, Brian in California, where you're much warmer than we are. What's up?
4: Hey, what's going on, fellas? Not much. Uh, so... so uh, so I just wanted to touch on um, a, a conversation you guys were having last week. I'm all the way out here in California, so I listen to a lot of your guys' podcasts uh, more so than I listen to the live show. But decided to hop on today because I heard Collar was on, so uh, shout-out to you, Collar. Um, but last week, one of the callers called in, and he was talking about – or calling you and Mackie you, – Judge, you, you and Mackie, he was calling you guys crazy because I believe you guys had Harrison Smith rated as a higher – MVP candidate on the Viking squad in, uh, in Case Keenum, and mm-hmm. I mean, this, this guy Harrison Smith goes out there and just proves every week he dudes our MVP of our team. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous. to I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm cool with Case. I mean, in my opinion, he's still just a backup quarterback. He's a pretty solid guy, but I mean, for, for someone to call you guys idiots for saying that Harrison Smith is a higher MVP on the team in Case Keenum is just ridiculous to me, and that guy just needs to be put
2: out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, man. I appreciate thanks, you Brian. Uh, listening from California. Yeah, no problem, guys. Right, um, I, I have okay. a statistic that uh, he will appreciate on Harrison Smith. This uh, came to me via Pro Football Focus. 2017, opposing quarterbacks targeted Harrison Smith on 42 throws. They completed 23 for 140 yards, zero touchdowns, and a passer rating of 22.0. Uh, yeah. A good passer rating is 100. Uh-huh. The highest passer rating is 158. Against Harrison Smith, 22 passer rating, throwing into his coverage. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, the Vikings' ability to, as a defense, baffle even veteran quarterbacks yep, and then allow their pass rush to get after guys... Has been the number one reason they are 13 and three. They're the number one defense in the NFL. And by the end of the season, considering what they did over the last three weeks, Mm -hmm. like they were very, very good for a long time when they were playing those great teams. And then when they played teams that were out of it, Mm -hmm. they just beat them over the head with a board, and they have moved themselves into that category of being nearly as good as some of those defenses that we bring up all the time, like the 2000 Ravens, the 2002 Tampa Bay Bucks. It's not quite that good, but it's, it's in that range. Well, and keep in mind, too, we are in a different era now.
1: So, like, when you're saying, well, they're not the 2000 Ravens, well, okay, they're not. But the league since then is, has bent over even more backwards to make offenses be really good. Uh, when, when it comes to Smith, think of it this way. As much as we might all like Case, and Case is a great story, and Case is going to get paid, so don't feel bad for Case. As much as we all like Case, <laughs> Case started this year as a backup quarterback. And Case Keenum has come in, given the parameters that he has, not done a fantastic job. But if I were to say to you, let's start drafting quarterbacks. Like, let's start drafting them. Yeah. You ain't saying, well, after what I've seen in 2017, Case Keenum. Harrison Smith is one of the best players in the National Football League.
2: Yeah, if you told me— Okay, it's that
1: that simple, though. Like— Case Keenum's a nice story, and he's had a really nice year, and I have no idea if he can repeat it at
2: the age of 30. Harrison Smith is one of the best players in this league. Yeah, if you asked me to start drafting defensive players, Aaron Donald is probably my number 1 pick, and then I think Harrison Smith is my number 2 pick. I think he's the best or second-best defensive player in the entire league. Uh, with Case Keenum... I mean, he's going to have an opportunity here in the playoffs to make himself the franchise quarterback for this organization or another one. But uh, Courtney and I were having this discussion, Courtney Cronin, uh, on Friday. Judd, I think it matters a lot what happens in the playoffs and how he plays to whether he gets paid anywhere. I, I mean, we overvalue a lot of these things. We overvalue bowl games when we're evaluating quarterbacks and things like that. But in this case, this is the reason why you have this guy was because you thought he could possibly take you into the playoffs and win a game as a backup quarterback if he had to play. And he's had a very good regular season, but we've seen that many, many times where a quarterback, Alex Smith, Andy Dalton, quarterback who's average, goes into the playoffs and can't get the job done even though he's got a really good team. And if Keenum proves that he's more than just one of those guys— by beating some teams in the playoffs, Mm -hmm. then he will be someone's franchise quarterback. But if he has a meltdown in the first game, then I would expect he is not the franchise quarterback of this team next year, and maybe not even someone's—maybe he's probably someone's full-time starter at this point. He gets a starting job. But I I do wonder about whether they would pay him more than for a year or two at the most whether it's a Mike Glennon type type of contract somewhere else I, I
1: think at the very worst he gets a Glennon 3 year deal
2: I think it's that big yeah. of a difference between whether he goes deep or whether he loses in the first round to what his future is
1: uh 6516468255 five. if you're outside the metro uh 8776151500 Peter you're on
3: I have two questions number 1 the Bradford trade uh, in 2018 draft now I've heard that Fourth round pick could get upgraded to a third or a second after they get one game out of him in 2018. And my my other question is why didn't they bring Bridgewater in when the score went 23 to seven and get him about a quarter's work of worth of play? That would have been a good chance.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Peter uh, Matthew. To, to the, well, to the second point, I would agree with you. Um, at, at that point in the game, they were dominating. Every facet, they were running over the Bears. They weren't allowing them anything on defense. Um, yeah, but I think with with stakes, with such high stakes, you you win and you get that first round bye, I don't think Mike Zimmer was taking any chances. And the Bears did make it interesting when they got to first and goal. It's just that the Vikings' defense was too good at that point. What was the first question?
1: The first question was, and I'm trying to Google this, if the if. The Vikings gave up a first-round pick in the 2017 draft, and I want to say the caller is right. They gave up a a fourth-round pick. They did. They gave up a fourth-round pick in the 2018 draft that I think was listed as conditional, and what the caller is curious about is if that draft pick will now uh, bump up to a third-round pick, I think he said. Uh, because of the success the Vikings have had, and I would need to find that out to make certain. It's a it, it's a good question because yeah. there is still a draft pick that's going to go uh, to Philadelphia in this coming year. I don't know if it was conditionally able to bump up, especially since the quarterback who they traded for didn't play.
2: I will de- one game. defend the trade until my final day. Oh, I judge. I agree. Uh, the trade for but it's a good question. The trade for Sam Bradford uh, in 2018 did, was not a difference maker. Clearly, and did not get them into the playoffs in 2016. Or I, oh, I'm sorry, 2017. I uh, you know, wh- okay. What do you got?
1: Okay, according to a source, uh, this was the this is when the trade was made. According to a source, the fourth rounder in 2018 can become a third rounder if the Bradford led Vikings reach the NFC Championship game. Okay, in which case the Eagles would return a seventh rounder. Uh, but what's not clear about this is if that would have needed to be in the 2016 season since that's when the trade was made. That's my guess. My guess is that the the condition came off it after one year.
2: You know what? Here's how you can now justify the Bradford trade. They thought last year was going to be this year. They thought that they had the defense, and well, all they needed was a quarterback who was just good enough. Yes, that's, you're right. That That's exactly what they thought. They knew that Sam Bradford was not Drew Brees— but they thought, oh, let's see, can he just manage a game? Can mm-hmm. he just run our offense, which turned out to be a West Coast offense after North Turner left? Can he just can he just run the offense? Can he just get the ball into the hands Except of the playmakers?
1: It wasn't Bradford's fault. It was the fault of of the fact that you got guys hurt. You had an offensive line that had no depth. And of course, the most important thing once again, or or I shouldn't say most important. One of the important things to keep in mind too was you entered the season with Adrian Peterson as your focal point. Yeah. Which completely which completely derailed things from a starting point because the, that offense was never going to be as effective with a guy that couldn't pass, protect, and catch passes. Uh Don, our buddy, what's going on, Don? Gentlemen, happy new year. Happy New New Year to you. You'd be proud of me. I was uh I was all tucked in at 10 30 last night.
3: Wow! Wow! Lot of, I'm getting old, Don. Well, we both are, but that's okay. We're hopefully we're becoming a little bit wiser. <laughs> and speaking of being wiser, yes, are we being? Uh, do we feel as though? And, and I have felt this way now that this team just is different from the other years of like 2009 and even 1998. I even go 2000. It's they were definitely, as far as down the road at the end of the end of the year, they were pretty strong still. And you know, they, I posted yesterday they won eleven of their last twelve games mm-hmm. with no QB one and no, no RB one, which is pretty amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Almost on, defense is almost unstoppable at home. Most points they've ever given up is nineteen points all year at home, and that was even after that it was a throwaway touch on the game to the Saints. A lot of things have gone their way this year. A lot. Uh, and, and you can say, well, you know, they lost their QB, they lost their running. Back. Yeah, but, you know, Aaron Rodgers got knocked out. Carson Wentz got knocked out. We played playoff teams whose star defenders may not have played. A lot of things have gone the Vikings' way so far this year. And if they do make it to that certain game in February, which I cannot say yet, <laughs> uh, they're going to be pretty uh, – it's probably most likely going to be a home crowd. It's going to be
1: a pretty tough game. That, hey, Don, game. I, don't yeah. know about, I don't know about that. This is a corporate event. I, I mean, the, the Vikings in the Star Tribune story that I read yesterday are literally trying to get their hands on tickets themselves to give to corporate sponsors. I think this notion that it would turn into a Vikings home game, and I'm not saying it wouldn't be very cool for the team, but I think this notion that the actual game itself would turn into this this home game for the Vikings is a little bit misguided because this is a corporate event and people have planned on coming here for a long time. And I don't think there's a lot of us who have have that much to to shell out for one football game, no matter how much we might want to.
3: Well, I, but I still think there'd be at least 30, 35,000 Viking fans in that. Mm. I'm not
2: saying it's like 60, I don't know. 000, no, right I think yet. I think that's I think that's really high because when we were talking to uh, Lou Nanny about this, he was trying to find out how you get tickets. And he was saying that there are only going to be a couple thousand that end up available for people to just buy here in Minnesota. And this is Louie, yeah, who gets right, into everything. Yeah, I I mean, I think uh, you're probably going to end up with mostly people traveling from all over the place to be here. Now, maybe the secondary market bumps that up a little bit. exactly. But in terms of the home field advantage that you would normally have, I don't. Think that that's going to be anywhere near like that? I think people are still going to be cheering everything because it's the Super Bowl, and it will feel still like a neutral site. And in a way, this is a it, this would be like a blazing hot take. So I apologize for it. In a way, it's. <laughs> Unfortunate. It's almost unfortunate if they were to make the Super Bowl that it would be here, and all the fans who go to every game and make that place really impossible to play in, they wouldn't be able to be there. It's like ironic and a little bit annoying. Actually, it would be fun for the town, but in a way, it would be like well, all the, the Viking the great, fans aren't going to be streaming. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It, it would I be. Think I think for most people, for ninety-nine percent of Vikings fans, it would be just like having it in New Orleans. Which, which oh, I, which you, I know is you, just taking the air out of think, the bubble. There, what
3: do you think the maximum amount of Vikings fans you think would get in that game? Considering twenty thousand.
1: No, see, Don, but the prices are going to be so high, and and the thing is, if the team comes out and says we are trying to get tickets to give to our corporate people, that means if the team gets more tickets, there will be some that go to fan uh, to fans at face, which by the way is not cheap. I oh, think. No. I think I think five oh I think 5, 000, if you could get 5,000 Viking fans, just fans. I'm not talking corporate fans. I'm talking diehard Viking fans. If you could get 5,000 in the building, five to eight, that would be a lot, I think.
3: Really, you think it could be that low?
1: It, well Don, the thing about it is is people plan on coming to this game to be at this game and to be right. seen and they're so rich and that's fantastic. That's fine. But this is so not an event for the sports fan.
3: Do you think the city of Minnesota actually t- or the city of Minneapolis takes a hit because if the Vikings no. take
1: it, No, I think people are coming. I think people who have a ton of dough are coming here to be seen. I think the only thing that might be a hit is if, if it remains 20 below. Some people might be like, bleep that. I'm going to sell my tickets. That would be the only thing.
3: Wow, that's very true. That's very true on that part. So, wow, the thing real quickly yeah. as well. I think for the teams who make it to the game – this defense is going to have to start generating more turnovers. And I know they're playing at a great level right now. I'd like to see them go to another level and start creating more turnovers to help with the offense when it stagnates.
2: Well, to your point there, uh, that's the only thing that separates them from being one of the great, great defenses. And it's sort of remarkable that they haven't. Yeah, they're they're down there. I I haven't checked after yesterday's game, but they are all the way down – at like twentieth uh, place in the league in, in turnovers caused. How about this for the Baltimore Ravens two thousand defense? I stumbled on this stat. This year the Vikings have nineteen turnovers. They didn't cause any yesterday, did they? They didn't get any picks or fumbles. I don't think so. So no. they had nineteen turnovers when the Ravens won the Super Bowl in two thousand. They caused forty nine in the regular oh, no. season. No, that's the one thing that was insane. All right, let's uh,
1: if you want to join the conversation. Jackson, we will take your call next. Mackie and Judd, Matthew Coller in for Phil today.
2: The last five years in the NFC, one of the two teams that had the buy represented uh, the NFC in the Super Bowl.
1: So it's big. Vikings to uh, host a division-around playoff game we now know at uh, 340 on January the 14th. They're going to play the Rams, the Panthers, or the Saints, depending on what happens next weekend. Let's go back to the phone lines. Jackson in Scottsdale. Jackson, you are very smart because you're in Scottsdale, and we're here in about eight below.
0: Yeah, I'm hanging out by my pool in the hot tub yeah, right Yeah, really now. don't
1: Thanks, like you, sir. don't no, Yeah. Happy I New know. Year
2: to you, too.
0: Yeah, Happy New Year. Hey, this team... Uh, Frankly, guys, this team is unstoppable. I think we'll probably end up playing Pittsburgh, but the team—and you got to check with Patrick on this because you guys are too young. This team is much more like the 1975 Viking team that lost to Dallas uh, at home uh, in the the championship game. Yeah, but this—but this team is very much like that on on defense. uh, You know, that team had a rock-solid D backs, Paul Krause, and. To Salky, and those guys are in their prime and uh, great off defensive line. And our offense, um, I think the quarterback might have been a little better with Fran, but nonetheless, it's very much like that team. And that team was the best Viking team of that era. Yep. This by far is, is a Viking team that really is unstoppable. I mean, it, it, for the Vikings to lose, Matthew, you may disagree, but for the Vikings to lose, they have to beat themselves. Their defense is going to have to have an off game, and their offense. Case is going to have to throw a couple of you know bad picks or something to, to lose. But mm-hmm. other than that, the Vikings are going to be in the Super Bowl. Count on it.
2: Thanks, Jackson. I think this team reminds me a lot, and uh, I didn't see this team, but just uh, statistically speaking, the 1988 Minnesota Vikings were very, very much like this team. They had the number 1 defense in the NFL, and they had Wade Wilson as the quarterback, and Wilson, surprisingly enough in that year, was very good. He had a 91 quarterback rating. He had 15 touchdowns, nine picks, which back then, you know, there were more interceptions, but his yards per attempt was good. They had a couple of different running backs. They didn't have one amazing guy and they, are, you talk,
1: are you talking about the team that played uh, Washington in the NFC title game
2: They played in the divisional game okay. against the 49ers so You're talking
1: about the 88 okay And then so okay. they
2: beat they beat the Rams and then they went on to lose to the amazing San Francisco 49ers yep. but they were a team that was completely stacked on defense you had Chris Doleman, Henry Thomas, you know you know that defense was it was so good and when it came to the playoffs they were able to beat one team but then they faced the Hall of Fame quarterback, and the all-time great offense, and they came up a little short. Uh, This year, there is not an all-time great offense that they're going to play. There are very, very good offenses. Mm -hmm. The Rams are very good. They average 30 points a game. uh, But the Rams' statistics on yards per play and adjusted yards per attempt and those things, they don't look all-time good. Last year, Atlanta was all-time good, and they ended up in the Super Bowl. There is not that team. You could believe that the Vikings' defense can stop any team out there. Take a break. Come back.
1: Plenty more Vikings discussion with us left to go. We're on until 1130 here, at which time the Citrus Bowl pregame show as the bowl games, a day full of bowl games right here on the station, Uh, will be on Zolgad and Matthew Collar in for Phil.